podcast and the nerds who haunt themselves. I'm Stuart Moraine and each episode I'm joined by a guest to talk about a movie they love and we see where the conversation takes us from there. If you're a regular listener, thank you and welcome back to the show. And if you're joining us for the first time, welcome to the show and thank you for giving us a listen. I hope you enjoyed the film talk and as always, if you feel like doing so, you can keep the conversation going in the comments on our socials, in the Am Why Not Facebook group or wherever you see this episode posted. To kick off our 2023 season for this episode, I'm joined by returning guest Jalen Sala as we discuss the 2001 Cameron Crowe classic, Almost Famous. And now with an advance warning on spoilers and all that introduction stuff out of the way, let's roll the trailer. Hello. This is the music editor at Rolling Stone magazine. This is William Miller. Yes, it is. I think you should be writing for us. From Cameron Crowe, writer-director of Jerry Maguire. If you're going to be a true journalist, you cannot make friends with the rock stars. Just make us look cool. God, it's going to get ugly, man. They're going to buy you drinks. Don't take drugs. They're going to fly you places for free. It's Bowie! You're gonna meet girls. We are not groupies. We don't have intercourse with these guys. Just blowjobs, and that's it. Amen. On the road with the band. Your mom called. Rock stars have kidnapped my son. Spirits run high. There's acid in the beer that's in the red cups. How do you know when it's kicked in? I am a golden god. Runs wild. Let's deflower the kid. We need this story in four days. Your time has come. And there's more to write home about. Can I speak with William, please? Is this Marianne with the pot? Then the music. What do you love about music to begin with? Everything. It's so easy to slip. It's so easy We're gonna die. Something should happen. Maybe I never said this enough. I love all of you. I slept with Martin Dick. I did too. Me too. I'm gay! Don't you have any regular friends? Famous people are just more interesting. Hello, Jylan. How are you? How are you, Stuart? I am all right. I'm, uh, yeah getting back into the uh, swing of doing these again awesome. uh, i've gone nuts and got a load booked up for the month already so. cool awesome yeah, so stay on top of it but hey, how's everything in your head did you have a good new year and all that stuff because this is this is the first one of the new year so wow i'm flattered first so. one going out with the new logo and everything i, I all love exciting it. stuff but yeah did, did you have a good new year did you do anything exciting tear up the town <laughs> exciting nothing to be honest i just had you know like bits and pieces of that you know like life is hard but i'm just trying to be creative maybe i'm really creative but other than that lots of shit lots of problems but hey you do what you gotta do baby that's it yeah no i mean new year does nothing for me it's 
I'm usually in bed by like half ten because I just can't be asked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I sleep early, and then it's like, yeah, the new year. My sister was like, yeah, and I'm like, ooh, okay, changing numbers, changing time. <laughs> People don't even text me on New Year's anymore, no. I didn't have a text except for my sister. I could have most people out of my life, so I don't want to tell. <laughs> Maybe others have better experiences. I just, yeah, I'm such a curmudgeonly old fucker at this point. <laughs> like, I like talking to people like this, face to face. But it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Which is is the polar opposite of the film we're talking about, really. <laughs> because, you know, this is very much about a guy being in with people. That that party and lifestyle. So we're talking about almost famous. So a little see, I did that. The segues have got better. Um little bit of info about the film then. So written and directed by Cameron Crowe, starring Billy uh, starring Billy Crudder, Francis McDormand, Kate Hudson, Jason Lee, Patrick Fugit, uh Anna Paquin, uh, Noah Taylor, and Philip Seymour Hoffman. And is it Freyuza Bulk? Bulk? I'm going with that. Um, released in cinemas on the 22nd of September 2000 in the US and the 26th of January 2001 in the UK. Grossed 47,368,287 worldwide on an estimated budget of 60 million, according to IMDb. And Roger Ebert gave the film four stars out of four, saying, Oh, what a lovely film. Uh, I was almost hugging myself while, watch while I watched it. Almost Famous is funny and touching in so many ways. And then he put a note at the bottom of his review saying, uh, why did they give it an R rating, uh, give an R rating to a movie that's perfect for teenagers? Which it is. Um, and then, again, as for this par for the course with these things, I couldn't find a Barry Norman review, so we've just got the um, Roger Ebert one to go on. But yeah, I think it is a perfect movie for teenagers. <laughs> sort okay. of, what, what was your experience of first seeing it? Was it a cinema job or a Discovered oh no! It. it was on my DVD player, I think, back in the day when you get DVDs and stuff like that. And I watched it with my sister. And it was actually, we were on the habit of, you know, like it was a time when we were, we got to watch all the movies about music, all the movies about, you know, like sex, all the movies about, you know, crude humor, all the movies about death, whatever. So we had these music movies. We had, I think, High Fidelity. We had this, we had other stuff. And then we watched it and the magic happened. I think I was transformed into the screen. It was such a magical experience for me. I think the first viewing especially was special. It's yeah. Crazy. It is. I mean, I, I want to know what was on the movies about sex list, but that's a podcast for another time. <laughs> it's another podcast I'm going <laughs> to talk to you about. It. <laughs> we had some crazy shit there. French uh, movies and stuff. Damn Europe. <laughs> the only reason we watch french movies let's be honest that's <laughs> how so everybody discovered french cinema so there might be sex and nudity in it then they discovered off the back of it yeah. <laughs> um yeah. yeah um it's yeah for me it was a cinema job i saw it because i have my cinema stub still on the 13th of february 2001 uh, a midday showing, so it's clearly a day off. I wasn't a jobless bum. <laughs> um, yeah, I went because I loved Cameron Crowe. I was a big fan of Say Anything and Jerry Maguire and Singles. So kind of I had to be there for his fourth one. That was my main thing going for it. And I love it. it the film blew me away. 
it's a friggin' masterpiece. It's a crazy movie and it makes me feel so young again. Like this rarely happens these days to me. Yeah, it's I mean, I love movies like this as well. I'm not I like music, I enjoy music, but I don't understand music the way that I understand film and to a lesser extent comics. Um, I couldn't tell you why a song works or anything like that. Um, yeah. I just tell you why I like it. And sometimes not even why I like it. <laughs> you just like, yeah, you just sometimes like, like this, it. And... This song is a bag of shit, but I just, yeah. I love it. <laughs> I love it, yeah. It just gets to me. Oh, I would analyze a song to the bone, man. Yeah, I mean, it's, I wish I understood music like that, but I, th I think my eldest child might be going that way. I'm really trying to encourage him. Yes, yes. We have a musician in the family. Yes, he's uh, well, he's currently on his Elvis kick at the minute. So, <gasps> yeah, you, you get him and we make a podcast about Elvis. <laughs> Let's do this. He's done uh, Queen, Wham, Beatles. He's on his Elvis one at the minute, like I say. So, we've pretty much got all the Elvis albums now that you can get on CD. And uh, yeah, he, he's like me with film and stuff like that. He goes hardcore into it, gets everything he can, and then moves on to the next thing but, but still continually appreciates it kind of thing awesome. <laughs> but yeah it's, um you know I, I might i tried to get him to watch this but I'll, i watched it last night later than his bedtime so i'm gonna watch the um uncut version with him the bootleg edition at a later date and hopefully that'll inspire him um yeah like i said this film's it's pretty much almost perfect. Like any minor fault with it, a minor quibbles at best. Um, sort of come on to that a bit later. But um, I mean, yeah. So what was it about this film that you sort of fell in love with? Probably how he, he loved music the way I did. How he appreciated the, the feel. You know, like there was this scene when... You know, uh, Russell just talks to William and just tells him about rock and roll and why it's really what's the beauty of it or the missing parts. This is exactly what I feel like when you just like a part in a song and you are obsessing about it. And this part is nothing. It's like an ah or, you know, like a, a sigh or whatever. And you feel crazy. Like, why? Why do I like the song? Because of this part. I feel like he gets it. He gets music yeah. the way I do, but in a more advanced way, of course. But for me, it was like someone gets you, gets why you're so passionate and crazy about something that probably a lot of people, you know, wouldn't understand. You know, they, they just see you like crazy. And for me, that a grown up, someone always you meet people because, you know, like when you have an artistic strike or something and you are surrounded by regular people, regular. OK, people would just feel like, grow out of it. Come on. You're an adult now. You don't have to be passionate about blah, blah, blah. So for me, this was a torture. So to see him. Just, passion this crazed passion that i still had even as i grew up and still do I don't know, he felt like a buddy he felt like someone i would just sit with and i want to talk to you about this movie this is why i love this movie you feel you feel a familiarity you know yeah. of feelings and of passion yeah i mean sort of we're gonna jump all over the place just because the way it is i'm gonna say off the top that everybody in this film it, all the actors are like at the top of their game they're all perfect so if we don't mention anybody by name yeah. it's not a slight on them um yeah. everybody is amazing in this this is very much a no small parts movie um but that relationship between russell and william at the center of it because it, it is that love triangle isn't it it's russell william william penny penny russell um Definitely. and it's just and I mean, you got this great like father figure 
older brother thing in Russell. But then when he turns on William, when he's on acid, he just starts calling the enemy and that. That is a genuinely terrifying moment. It's so well done. But then you kind of, it never puts you off him either. Because, you know, he is a bit of a piece of shit, Russell. (laughs) He is. He doesn't treat Penny well. He doesn't treat his girlfriend well. You know, it's that rock star cliche, isn't it? But Definitely, yeah. um, Still. But yeah, he's just, you'd love to hang out with him. It's, uh, this is the thing. It um, kind of makes you like feel like this world of rock and roll. It's, you know, it's messed up. You know, these women are not having, you know, like they're not treated well. They are being used. You feel like these guys are like burning out themselves. But still, you want to be a part of this magic, at least for a way. He makes it feel like it's a beautiful dream, even if it's in real life, it's not. And you read about groupie culture and you read about the sad lives of most rock and roll artists. But still, he makes it, he, he gets, I think, the best of it and makes it into what you've envisioned it all along. Yeah. I mean, Cameron Crowe does an amazing job in this film of like showing you like how amazing it is to begin with. But then when you really start to see the cracks, and like, you know, like when William tells Penny that he, she was traded for yes. beer and whatever else, and you know, you see a break and then you see her like pull the face back on her. Like, what kind of beer? Yeah. And she was brilliant in this scene. Kate Hudson was an enigma. I've got Kate Hudson is just lovely in this film, and I don't mean that in a look sexual way. Just everything about her is lovely. The bit where she's dancing on the rubbish in the empty I concert know. hall, and the first scene you see her, yeah, with the coat, she's you can tell this is iconic, and the way she, I was just, I really wanted to talk to you about this. The way she uses the hands, yeah. It's as if she's, I don't know what this is. It's her input or is it Cameron? I don't know. But the hands, the way she uses them to lure people, to just kind of like make him infatuated by her, just smitten by her, William especially. No, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's so Penny Lane. And you feel like there's never been a character like that before. And at the same time, Kate puts in this air around her. She's iconic. You can never forget about her. Well, no, that's it, because it's very, in the wrong hands, this very much could have been what Mark Mode called the Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Yeah, I was just going to tell you. And it's, she's not that. I mean, she, like yeah. say, Sorry. in lesser actress's hands, she could have been that. No disrespect to, like, Zoe Deschanel, who plays the sister, but I think if she'd have been Penny Lane, it very much would have been that Manic Pixie Dream Girl thing. Definitely. Um, Like say, she's just... Like you say, with the hands, the bit that really sticks out for me is when William tells her during the tiny dance a bit, that which Elton John owes so much of his later day career to this film. I really hope he, like, you know, regularly rings up Cameron Crowe or sends him a note just being like, thanks, man. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> when William tells her that he's got to go home and then she does the thing with the hand, just like, whoosh, sort of noise, and then she's like, you are home. And it's like... You're, she, you're buying it, you know what I mean? Like, Okay, I'm in. You guys, what are you, woman? Like for me, this is so sexy. <laughs> you know, like yeah. she's wow. She's so she's so hot and she's so beautiful and she's so enigmatic and she's so shining. It's yeah, because you've got that the two ways she's portrayed as well. You've got the way William sees her and you've got the way Russell sees her. Obviously, Russell sees her as an object. You know, exactly. he does he does fall in love with her, but he also sees her as a recreational object, not to be cruel or harsh, but very Definitely. much a de-stressor for on the road, whereas William falls in love. And we've all had that person we fall Definitely. in love with that is, is never going to be the person you end up with, but is the one that sort of 
matures you. I love the bit, the deflowering scene, where they're all dancing around him and he's just making eye contact with her. With her. It's so beautifully shot. And you would have never, it's so beautiful shot, and you would never have even imagined that it would occur that way. You know, like he would focus on them as if even during this moment, this pivotal moment in his life, he just wants to connect with her as if he's probably imagining her to him. Maybe she's the one who deflowered him in the beginning by just yeah. being in his life, by just getting him into her life. It's so beautiful. I said, again, it's another thing that in a lesser director's hands would have been, you'd have just cut to a fantasy scene of him in his head with Penny Lane having sex with him. Definitely. And it's it's never about that. I, it's that weird thing. I don't think William ever really sees her as a sexual object. He, he would like to have sex with her. But not as a sexual exactly. But it's not a sexual thing. Kind of. It sounds really weird, but it's... I know what you mean exactly. I know what you mean. It's I Like I say, it's just how it comes across. I mean, it really comes across... Um, Again, like I say, we're going to be jumping all over the place because it's just that kind of film. It uh, is. Um, but yeah, when she's having a stomach pumped and you've got My Amir Moore by Stevie Wonder playing over it, so it's playing like a fallen in love scene, but the way William's yeah. looking at her and seeing her vulnerable and the way Karen Crow just shoots her feet moving. Exactly. And occasionally intercuts to the tube. And it it's both horrific and beautiful at the same time. Exactly. But you've got exactly. William just falling in love with her and it's just like... And it's like in all the weird moments, you know what I mean? Like even when she just goes and pees in front of him. Yeah. I mean? Like you just feel like she's just trying to break the charm, but he's still charmed. You know what I mean? Like yeah. she's in your face, Penny Lane. She's not trying to be enigmatic, which is why she's not the manic pixie dream girl. She's trying to break it all the time. But at the same time, she's still this enigma with big hair and all these clothes that make her that define her although you yeah. can tell they're not expensive you can tell she's just picking up stuff from here and there but she is her you know what i love another scene when she and russell kind of like touch hands in front of william and william didn't know at the beginning and it's the johnny mitchell song river yeah i love this i would have never imagined this song to be in that scene like what was he thinking can you imagine the intensity of the scene? I kept replaying it in preparation for the episode because it was just so beautiful. Yeah. It's just, I mean, sort of quickly touching on the music, the soundtrack to this film is amazing. The, one of the beauties of Cameron Crowe is that he introduced me to so much music that I probably never would, in all his films. Like, you know, me too. Peter Gabriel would say anything, the Seattle grunge movement with singles, um, Partially The Who, my friend really introduced me to The Who, but that was sort of my thing with her when my friend introduced me to it. I was like, yeah, I know The Who. They did Magic Bus. And um, <laughs> and just, yeah, Tom Petty as well on the Jerry Maguire soundtrack. Um, yeah. Then this one. And Vanilla Sky as well has got a great soundtrack. I mean, Cameron Crowe knows music, Sky. obviously, because, you know, he was William in real life, wasn't he? Because <laughs> Exactly. For those who don't know, obviously, it's a semi-autobiographical thing about a 15-year-old Cameron Crowe going on, or I think he was 16, going on the road with the Ullman brothers. And it's just, it's so good as well. I love, oh, let's sort of, <laughs> I love the portrayal of William. I love young William. Me too. Um, the beauty of the bootleg cut is you get a little bit more young William, because that kid is so great. And I mean, he's not a kid anymore, obviously, but. He's so great in that role. His reaction to finding out he's 11. Wonderful. And just that it. scene going across. Um, and Francis was just so good too. Francis McDormand is amazing. This is also another role that could have gone 
stupidly and cliche and yeah. she made it her own this woman is just i love her as an actress to be honest she's one of my favorites yeah she's got that amazing thing of being like you you get it with like you know <laughs> the hotel clerk who's like got a message from elaine your mother she's a handful <laughs> And then he's like, she freaked me out. And then later with Russell, where Russell's all like, you know, Billy Big Bollocks on the phone. And then she talks to him and he's just like, you know, like a scolded teenage boy. Yes, ma'am. You can feel him becoming respectful, even though he doesn't want to. But she's so warm to him as well. And she tells him to go out there and have a great show, you know. This is why it's a great character. But And then when Russell, after they've done the group huddle thing, before they go on stage, like, your mum freaked me out. (laughs) He's like, I know. She means well. Definitely. So, I love this thing too. I love the bit with the Simon Garfunkel record as well. It's like, hot. But she's pointing at their eyes. <laughs> Perfect. I love it too. <laughs> but yeah, she's amazing. Um, I mean, she's a standout on this. Um, her and Philip Seymour Hoffman is amazing as Lester Bangs. I don't know if you've ever read any Lester Bangs reviews and music writings. Never. I haven't. There's, there's a book that's available. It's, you can get it on Amazon. It's only like a tenner, but it's like a collection of his books. I used to have a copy. I've ordered a new copy because I must have lent mine to somebody and I cannot find it now. In that way that you're like, yeah, I've got that. It's like, no, I lent it to them and then I never saw them again. (laughs) (laughs) Which is why I don't lend books anymore. No, I know. (laughs) But yeah, um, he's so good. And introduced me to the Guess Who. Because I was like, there's a guy who clearly loves the Guess Who. So... um, like I say, he's fantastic. Um, plays him perfectly as well. It's, I could have watched a whole movie just of Philip Seymour Hoffman as Lester Banks. Me too. I, I wish there was a spin-off of it. Oh, I can't believe he's gone. Sometimes you feel like someone went from the art world like Robin Williams and they left a yeah. hole, you know, like a gap. So Philip Seymour Hoffman definitely was the guy for me. He's Sick. This role is that tiny. And sadly, and like Lester Banks died young as well. Really? Yeah. I don't know much about Lester Banks. He's really fascinating to look into. I mean, very much, again, I wish I was as passionate about anything as Lester Banks. <laughs> I know he's. <laughs> I know. He, he has my favorite line in the film about, or one of my favorite lines in the film about the only true currency in this bankrupt world is uh, what you share with someone else when you're uncool. Because I can relate to being uncool. I'm I very much so. the uncool. Um, I've never been cool, I think. I don't know. Uh, I don't, don't really want to. No. Honestly. Like, too, much, cool. too much pressure. I don't like fuck cool people. You know, like I'm a poet. How can I be cool? I'm I'm more dramatic. I'm the dramatic. I'm a poet, you guys. I'm gonna die and stuff like that. This is the poetic side of me. So yeah, I could get along with Lester. There's there's enough cool people. I've always told everybody just be uncool. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Fucking nothing about you that is controversial, man. God, it's gonna get ugly, man. They're gonna buy you drinks. You're going to meet girls. They're going to try to fly you places for free, offer you drugs. And I know it sounds great. These people are not your friends. You know, these are people who want you to write sanctimonious stories about the genius of rock stars. And they will ruin rock and roll and strangle everything we love about it. You know, because they're trying to buy respectability for a form that is gloriously and righteously dumb. You know, you're smart enough to know that. And the day it ceases to be dumb is the day it ceases to be real. Right? And then right. it just becomes an industry of cool. I, I mean, I'm telling you, you're coming along at a very dangerous time for rock and roll. I mean, the war is over. They won. 
99% of what passes for rock and roll these days, silence is more compelling. Yeah, that's why I think you should just turn around, go back, you know, and be a lawyer or something. I can tell from your face that you won't. I can give you 35 bucks. Give me a thousand words on Black Sabbath. An assignment? Yeah. Yeah. have to make your reputation on being honest and uh, you know, unmerciful. I, I love how he sort of his friendship with William as well. Love their phone conversations. I love that he sends him on it with the gig to go and interview Black Sabbath, but then he can't get in. I know he's just the craziest. And I, I love how he like proves himself to still water, and I know he's walking off the. Like, well, don't stop there, man. And like you're the enemy, and then as soon as he like pays him compliments and yeah. says he seems to know his shit. But there's some great bits of comedy in this film. I know it's so funny. It's I, I love the stuff where he, um, William refers to him as groupies. They're like we're not groupies, and then one of the things like you know Penny Lane was the one who told us no more sex, no more exploiting our bodies. Just, just blow <laughs> I love this part too. <laughs> He's like, doing, I love the part where she's like interrogating him about his age. He's yeah. like, I'm 17. Me too. And the way she plays the me too, the tone. It's, the is that like, final one? The voice. Me too. Yeah, this, I love her. Oh my God. Like I say, what do you love about everything William? about her is lovely. I want to know what you love about William because do you relate to William being sometimes the stranger in a strange land? Have you ever been in that situation? Yes. My, pretty much my entire life. <laughs> even oh in God. even in worlds I feel like I'd fit in much like William in this where he feels like he would fit into the music world he doesn't quite fit because he's not a musician he's a journalist so he's always slightly on the outside yeah yeah oh my god this is so awesome probably why we love this movie <laughs> quite possibly even down to like you know the record bag with your notebook in it that was me I mean for me at that sort of age it was movies and comics and drawing those are my three big things but you know i didn't have a focus on any one of them to ever pursue a career <laughs> plus they were hobbies and i didn't want them to not be fun so <laughs> this Man. it's just and you know it's that weird time where you know obviously in america you kind of you get a big band coming to your local town you don't yeah. really seem to get it so much in this country in england i don't know so much about egypt but It happens, yeah. I mean, you, we occasionally get we occasionally get people. I think Elton John played the rugby club, which I can't fucking imagine. They come here, but I think they come in really, you know, like fancy stadiums. <laughs> I said, even even now, though, you don't have the don't magazines have... or anything that you can rock up and be like, "I'm press." No, I don't. You'd have to have a blog that's got like X amount of followers. <laughs> exactly, and I I never have. I'm I'm not a popular brand. You know, I've never been a popular brand. I'm like a low key, and I like it that way, to be yeah. honest with you. But I wouldn't get a you know like an access and stuff like. I know people who know how to get into stuff and how to have the IDs and how to have thread connections, but not Jay. You know, Jay's <laughs> always <laughs> she's always the weirdo. You know, like always the one who just gets stuck and stiff and stuff so no, you want to be the guy that knows the guy that knows the guy you don't want to be the guy that knows the guy my sister is that kind of person my sister is that kind of person yeah. in a way but me no i'm like uh, 
I don't know. I'm Houdini. I'm the guy from the Big Lebowski. See, what do I, 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 know? I like being the guy that brings the guy to the other guy, but not knowing I'm bringing the yeah, guy and to the other guy. Yeah, and then leaving them. You know, like, yeah. oops, now you know each other. <laughs> now I can go alone and drink. A, a few people who've sort of met through knowing me and then gone on to work together on stuff have been like, that's really fucking cool. Because again, I'm very much, I don't care. I'm not one of these people that's like, you should have been fucking me. I'm very much like, that is, that is awesome that two of my friends are doing this and it's been successful. <laughs> For me, it's like the best. Damn it, to get people over your back. Are you serious? Yeah, guys, know each other. And so, then I'd go back to being alone. Just remember me when you're rich and I need a loan. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't want your money, but you know. You know, just connections, recognition. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I don't know, Matt. I don't know, Matt. I love being, you know, like whatever. Just let it get over with. You know me. You know me. You know my dark moods too. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's the other thing is I'm a very difficult person to spend time with sometimes because I do have yeah. the moods as all yeah. creative people do. Exactly, told you we're like we're the creative people. I mean, like I'm I'm Dickinson. I don't need those. You know? but... I can write poetry till I die and do podcasts, of course, with cool people. <laughs> so you're cool. So <laughs> see, the loop starts all over again. Yeah, exactly. It's. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, that's sort of why I relate to William, especially. I think that's possibly why I was drawn to Cameron Crowe as a director and filmmaker in the first place. He's very much about the uncool people, the people behind the cool people kind of thing. Um, I don't know how many Cameron Crowe films you've seen. I've seen Jerry Maguire. I've seen... Did he do High Fidelity? No, that was... Stephen Freer has directed that. Um, John Cusack and Steve Pink and all that lot wrote it. Um, I love High Fidelity as well. Again, that's very much... High Fidelity is one of those films you can take out the music and substitute it for whatever that thing is that you're about. And it's like, I relate completely. Exactly. I love singles. I think I like singles away. I love singles. Singles I rented from the video shop. I think I watched it like three times before I took it back the following day. I was like instantly in love with it. Say anything I caught by accident on telly. And say anything. Yeah. You know what? Also, I thought say anything was directed by John Hughes for some reason in my it's, mind. Yeah, like, I can see that. It's, it's a very, I see the, the influence, to be honest with you. I it's see sort the of the end of that John Hughes era because it was 1989. So it's, yeah. But it's Definitely. just, it's like a lovely, it it's, it's shit you'd never get away with in real life, standing outside your girlfriend's house holding up a boom box and just get you arrested in real life. Oh, you feel you're. <laughs> they're the creeps and you know what i mean like usually the the character is the creep in the real life because i've had the john cusicks who are like the creep you know like the ones you cannot even start a relationship with or get it finished with you know like for yeah. me i was kind of like the valedictorian with you know protective parents and stuff like that i've met the john cusacks but they're in real life they're not john cusack as in not the face i mean the character you know what i mean yeah, like nobody does love lawn like john cusack i made a film years ago and one of my favorite lines i put into it to sound like i'm blowing smoke up my own ass i apologize but one of my favorite lines i put into it was you know it goes together like john cusack and rain oh <laughs> i love this line i know i was like i'm so proud of that one I was like, that was a key for them when my friend read the script he was like that's the line <laughs> exactly i was like so, you yeah. cut all this other shit out just keep that one <laughs> just keep that line please <laughs> so, yeah, so anything is just it's just a lovely movie in a sense John I mean, yeah, it, it's a shame because sort of this was the high point of Cameron Crowe's directorial career. I think he peaked here. As much as I love Vanilla Sky and have a soft spot for both Elizabeth Town and We Bought a Zoo, and to a lesser extent, I love, we bought, well. a I love yeah, we bought a Zoo. I love We Bought a Zoo. It's very much 
the kind of movie that it is. I don't know what people were expecting. I don't know. Probably they were expecting because Almost Famous was kind of like a perfect thing. He made a perfect thing in his career. Kind of like in the mood for love for one car race, yeah. you feel. He cannot go from there and just go up and up. He's not like, it's not like a Scorsese thing. It's so hard to make another. And you don't have to be that kind of artist who makes great such greats. Can make warm, simple movies too. And just well, that's it. Because I mean, he followed this with Vanilla Sky, which is a very cold film for the most part. Yeah. Um, which I love Vanilla Sky. It's very, I love it, it is literally a you know Marmite kind of movie. You, people either seem to love it or they hate it. But but yeah, I I really got obsessed with that film as well. In that this way, one that I we do. saw it. I know what you mean. We, this one we saw it in the movie theater, but because one of my friends was obsessed with Tom Cruise, so we had to see it in the movie theater. And I remember seeing it clearly. And I remember us being young and feeling like, man, there's something I don't understand about it, but I just loved it. Even the vibe of it was good for me back then. That's one of the few films I cry at. I'm, oh, I'm not ashamed yeah. to cry at a film, but that's one that breaks no, me, no, me every too. single I, time. It's the bit the time. where, connection to this film, it's the bit where Noah Taylor turns around to Tom Cruise's character and says, I wish you well, David. There's just something about the way he says it. And yeah. I just fucking go, and I'm in tears, and my wife will come downstairs sometimes. She's like, you've been watching Middle of the Sky again, haven't you? Why? I'm <laughs> cool. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is about that line. It's just the way he delivers it. Noah Taylor's great in this as well. That's the band's manager. I love the his confession on the plane. <laughs> I may have skimmed a dollar or two <laughs> off the top, but I did it because I love you. <laughs> no, I just I love, love it. Too. It's amazing. Yeah, I love him too here. That yeah. plane confession scene is great. It's great. Because it's both horrific confrontational and funny at the same time and it's balanced perfectly you'd never feel like it's done for a cheap life even the the um the band member is like at the end he's like fuck it i'm gay yeah I think which could it. easily have been done as like you know it could feel homophobic if it's done wrong but exactly. it's done so well it never feels like and there's just the way that quietly none of them talk about it like William throws up in the bin when they're walking on the corridor, then runs to get back in his place where he was. Yeah. And you get that beautiful moment where he stops and then Russell stops and realises that William's no longer with them. And he realises exactly. that this is where they part ways. And that delivery of the line, you know, I wrote it's it down awesome. so I got it right. Um, or did I write it down? But yeah, where he just tells him to write what he wants. That's beautiful, just the way he delivers that line. Yeah, I know, me too. And I feel like the plain confessional scene is just awesome. I like the idea that a scene is, it's about the world ending, and then what if it doesn't end? And all the ugliness that we had, and all the baggage comes out. It's the what? fact that Jimmy Fallon's character, Jimmy Fallon, <laughs> <laughs> it's the fact that his character's confession is that he killed a man, and he hit a guy in a hit and run. He doesn't know whether he's yeah. dead or alive. And it's like, that's fucking dark. Damn. No, exactly. You don't even say this on your deathbed, bro. No. It's like, but it's like, say, it's so dark, but weirdly comical at the same time. It's just. No, I love it. This is why it's brilliant. This and... is why I think people wouldn't accept a lot from Cameron after that because you feel like everything is. Per Look what we're saying here. Everything is kind of perfect. Everything is perfectly timed, perfectly written, perfectly acted. So even down to like the tiny roles, like say that hotel cl receptionist clerk who's like, you know, your mum's a handful. Exactly. JM um Jay Burchell. Burchell as Vic, the hyper fan. 
who's just like who got the band to sign his t-shirt. Exactly. So we've all met somebody like that. It's just like definitely. You know, running through his itinerary, the Bowie fan. Yeah. Oh. It's just and the Bowie parts were just so good. There's a part way into my notes I've just written, fuck it, everyone in this film is amazing. You're right. And for Rusa Balk too, he's one of the girls, the band-aids. That's she's playing, I think, Sapphire. Yeah, Sapphire. Yeah. When she's running she's, alongside the bus. She's wild, man. I love her. <laughs> she just gets slammed. I love her so much. And when she kisses him, she's like, biopi. Oh, I, lo- I love her from the craft, to be honest. Yeah. She scares me, but I love her. They return to Oz. Yeah. That's I knew her from. And then things to do in Denver when you're dead. And Gaz, Food and Lodging. This is a movie that not a lot of people have seen and I love. Yeah. That scene, her on the phone to Francis McDormand as well, where at the end yeah. she's like, this is the maid, by the you way. You know, man. You know, <laughs> I love this part where she's like, you know, here's the good man, you know, man. I know, man, you know, man. And she's like, yeah, we're different, but just, I don't, I love the, the conversation. I love what she told her. <laughs> that whole scene where she's running alongside the bus. I mean, she goes for it running into that wall as well. You feel that. <laughs> but it, yeah. it's so well done. And then just... Mark Maron's character on the little buggy cart chasing the chasing after the bus. Exactly. <laughs> like I say, the comedy in this film is great. Um, the, you know, the whole "I'm a golden god" thing, where he's trying to do his final yeah. words. <laughs> so, you know, everything's about the music, and I'm on drugs. I'm on drugs. The best. He's the best. And you know what? When I was when I saw it for the first time, okay, but don't laugh, I thought, oh my god, it's this Joaquin Phoenix. I came and I was so happy. I was like, this is Joaquin Phoenix. Wow, I never knew. And then when I researched the film after watching it, like, oh no, this is not Joaquin Phoenix. This is Billy Crudup. I didn't even know the actor before. So for me, it was first like first thing a- I saw him in. I've got a note in here that Billy Crudup really should have been huge after this film. I don't know whether he did like Mission Impossible Three, and obviously he's in Watchmen. Um, and he was in Zack Snyder's Justice League as Barry Allen's dad. Um, I don't know whether he just didn't want, like, you know, the major movie parts or... Maybe. He's weird. We have to research him, but I don't know why. Because originally it was... imagined it. It was meant to be Brad Pitt. That's who the part was written for, but then Brad Pitt stepped away. Uh, which I could see Brad Pitt in it, but... I can't, Billy. as much as I love Brad Pitt as an actor, I can't see him being as good as Billy Crudup, isn't he? For one, Brad Billy. Pitt's too famous. It's perfect yeah. that it's Billy Crudup that you do. I mean, obviously now people know who Billy Crudup is from like various things, like I said, those films, Alien Covenant, all that yeah. sort of thing. But it's just kind of like, it's great that it's somebody you don't know. When Jason Lee is the most famous face in your band, and I love Jason Lee as well, so this isn't a disparaging thing against Jason Lee. Yeah. But when he's the most famous face in your name, so you never get distracted by that's Brad Pitt. It's like, you know, it's not like that's Mark Wahlberg playing, that's Tom Cruise playing a rock star. Yeah. That's Russell Hammond. This is the thing, yeah. And you can... That's Jeff Bebby. Project anything on them. It's just, yeah, it's, it's perfect. I mean, they're so great together as well, that band dynamic they have. The way they capture the magic of a band together and, like, you know, the, the Bruno. <laughs> I love Jason Lee's thing about, I'm going to say it. No one else is going to say it. Your looks have become a problem. <laughs> I love this too. It's just such a great scene. Do you give a shit about a t shirt? 
I'm just hungry, man. Let's just go out and find some barbecue or something. Look, I'm always gonna tell you the truth. Are you doing coke again? Oh, yeah, all the time. This is big stuff, man. From the very beginning, we said, I'm the front man and you're the guitarist with Mystique. That's the dynamic we agreed on. Paige, Plant, Mick, Keith, Blackmore, Gillen. But somehow it's all turning around. We have got to control what's happening. There's a responsibility here. Excuse me, but didn't we all get into this to avoid responsibility? I can't say any more with the writer here. No, 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 no. You can trust him. Say what you want. He won't write it. Look, I work as hard or harder than anybody on that stage. You know what I do? I connect. I get people off. I look for the one guy who isn't getting off, and I make him get off. Actually, that you can print. And yet, why do I always end up feeling like I'm a joke to you? Look, you want to pretend this isn't going to be a very big band? Well, it is! You call yourself a leader of this band, but your direction allowed this t-shirt when you allowed Dick to manage us, because he's your friend. Don't you see, man? The t-shirt is everything. All right, is it my turn now? Because I think we should, for once, say what we really mean. Oh, this is the part where you quit. Right, I'm so predictable. Deal with it. And let me just say what nobody else wants to say to you. Your looks have become a problem. All right, okay, enough. Break it up. Everyone out of the room for five minutes. And what I totally feel like when you wrote my favorite fictional bands, like you were writing it, I think, in a comment at the top 10 podcast, and, and you wrote Stillwater. See, so you can feel like Stillwater is a band in a way. How can it Still not be? Amazing. I've got... Again, I know fuck all about music, so I could just be projecting my own stuff onto this, but I love that Stillwater has that 70s sound mixed with that Seattle grunge movement sound. Yeah. So it doesn't quite feel 70s. It does feel 70s, but it feels a little out of time. It, like I say, it feels like that ni- late 80s, 90s, yeah, Seattle grunge definitely. movement. So it's like two defining moments of rock music brought together into this 70s setting. Yeah. But two things that like, because obviously singles are very much about that grunge thing as well. And like I say, it could be me projecting that onto the music, but that's very much what I picked up from it. Was that it felt like a 70s version of Seattle grunge in the best possible way. I mean, I Fever Dog's an awesome song. I, I love that song. You've never he created something out of, like, this band will live, you know? Like, it, it's a band. Yeah. I don't care if it's fictional, but it was a band. No, that's it. I'd go and watch. I mean, my 4K that I got comes with a Stillwater ticket. Seriously? <laughs> and, and a poster. I, I really want to get them framed, but I've got no wall space. You don't have a place left, bro. Where are you going to put it? Basically, I need to get a shitload of money. So that I can buy a big house, so that I can put all this shit up on the wall. Oh, the dreams that we have, yeah. But if it, I was there in London, I would have taken it and just put it behind me. And then it would be in all the future podcasts. Like, see, snatched it from you, like, oh, thanks, mate. And then put it behind me. See, when my kids grow up and move home, I can have a proper podcasting room. But... Okay. Um, sort of back on the music then. I love how he uses music in this film. I love, you know, in retrospect, it opens with an album in the Chipmunk song, which is amusing given that Jason Lee went on to play Dave. I love it Dave. so much. Seriously, I love it. I keep listening to it. I love it so much. You've got that amazing use of America by Simon and Garfunkel. 
Definitely. That scene where she leaves home and it's playing in the background, she puts it on because it's the song that will put into words what she can't express as to why she's leaving. Um, exactly. Francis McDormand's like, she'll be back. And then you hear Zoe Deschanel screaming. <laughs> like, Maybe not soon. <laughs> um, I love that they, um, you know, when he's going through the records and he's like running his hand over the cover, I remember doing that with my dad's records, just being so enamored by this record art, sleeve art. And I watch, I watch it with my eldest. He's slightly older than that William character is. Even he does it when he's looking in the record shop at records, wow. like looking at the Elvis stuff and that. He'll run his hand across the cover, even though it's behind plastic as well. Um, I love that, that you know, you do, you do the transition to William aging up by using um, Amazing Journey from Tommy with the candle burning. So exactly. You, you almost expect it to cut really? back to it at the end and it's just him with the candle burnt out and Tommy just finishing on the thing. Um, exactly. Oh, it, it's beautifully done. And then, like I say, we're, we're introduced to Lester Bangs. <laughs> Lester Bangs talking about music. And you know, like, I am passionate about all these bands he's just talked about. Exactly. And, and you've got Abby from NCIS as the DJ that he's talking to. <laughs> um, wow, see, I know I knew her from somewhere. I'm from NCIS, yeah. <laughs> And she was really hot. I know. I love her. Because listeners say. should know that I am actually an 80-year-old man. So I love me some NCIS. <laughs> me and Mark Harmon. I watched it. I watched it with my mother. I had to because my mother was obsessed with it I, for a time. I love any procedural crime drama shit like that. Because it's perfect. It's not too dark. It's just, yeah. just the right level of crime drama for me. There's no horrible shit happening to kids and all that stuff. So I'm all Yeah, cool. I know what you mean. I can't. Yeah, it's I know it's not like mean. Law and Order Special Victims Unit where you're like, I just want to kill myself every episode. Please it's so get miserable. Me out of this. It's so sad. You guys <laughs> depress me on a daily basis. No. It's just, it's just, it's horrible. It's horrible. It's horrible. It's horrible. Um, obviously, you've got the iconic Tiny Dancer scene. What? Which. This scene, I think, is unmatchable. Nothing can be made the way it has been made. It just captures everything. And the way every one of them just sings along. That's two films in a row that Cameron Crowe created something that went into the zeitgeist, even with people who haven't watched it. You had the show me the money thing from Jerry Maguire, plus the free-falling scene, where he's in the... Jerry Maguire trying to find the song to sing along to before landed on free-falling. Yeah. It's so, we've all done that when we're like, I need the song that reflects the mood I'm feeling right now. It's like, and I can't find the one to sing along. Oh my gosh, you you remind me of this. Okay, this time I was going to a book signing event. Okay, and I knew someone whom I didn't like was gonna be at that event, and I didn't want them, and I just had to be really curt with them. So what do I do? I listen to the trouble scene from. Elvis from Baz Lorman's Elvis to give myself power. I'm like, where is it? Where is it? Yeah, I gotta listen. And then it's looking for trouble, and I feel like I'm Elvis now on the stage, kind of like being rebellious and just getting head with everybody. And then I go to the book signing event, and I kind of yeah. like kill it, and I don't let anyone put shit on me. <laughs> so I know what you mean. It's the same, like the Jerry Maguire scene. It. The tiny dancer scene is the same. Again, I guarantee that a lot of the people that know the tiny dancer scene probably still haven't actually seen Almost Famous. They just know it's that scene from that because that clip was played everywhere as well. Exactly. Um, and like I say, it got Tiny Dancer brought back out in a one of its many Elton John remixes. Um, you know, and rightly so. It's, on a side note, nobody appreciates how good Goodbye Yellow Brick Road is an album. Because everybody's like, fucking Elton John. And then this film came out, and I think, yeah, Elton fucking John. Yeah. 
Captain fucking John, yeah, baby. <laughs> but it, it's an iconic moment. It's like saying, then you've got the whole William Zane has to go home, and Penny telling him he is home during that scene as well. He's and it's so yeah. It's like a band coming back together, or a whole the whole group coming back together before falling apart again. It's like you have this wonderful high moment. This moment, at least there is a moment. It's like, you know, they're all brought together by the music. And you could feel it too. You can remember, yes, maybe not that theatrically, but you could feel a moment when everybody's just sad and maybe a song comes up and you hear it on the radio and for a moment, you know, at least everybody's just in harmony or happy with each other. I could have, I've had moments like that too in real life. Yeah. Again, this film is amazing at capturing the melancholy of it. Like I said before, um, like William just in the bathtub trying to write all his notes. He just needs to be alone. William being heartbroken every time he can't get his interview with Russell. He's fobbed off. Exactly. Every and time crying. he feels like he's getting close to them. He's him crying outside Russell's room. This one is just genuinely so heartbreaking. Yeah. Because again, we've all had that frustration where we're like giving the finger to the door. Exactly. <laughs> you can't do it. Just breaking. It's because again, imagine the pressure of being that old. You're getting paid like a thousand dollars for doing an article for Rolling Stone magazine. Imagine this is so you know like it's unbelievable for me. Sometimes I just wish someone would just come to me and like give me an opportunity. You know, like I always thought of this, like yeah, yeah, you know what, Jay, this will happen. You know, someone will just say. I need your talent. I'm going to put you on this assignment. And I'm not sure if you're going to be up to it. I'm going to give you money to do something that you love. And at the end of it, he just made the article. It was front page. I know it was so pressuring and stuff, but the idea that he was given this opportunity, this trust was put in him. I don't know. It gave me an uplifting feeling, you know, like someone believed in him. Lester Banks, first of all, kind of like pushed him and then they believed in him. Yes, he had hardships. Yes, he had a lot of time where he felt like he doubted himself but at the end of the day he wrote the article he was there and it was such a heartwarming thing for me his his note writing is very i really related to his note writing as well that's very much how i wrote scripts and how i do comics now and that is that it's just little scraps of paper with stuff written on it and then i piece it all together and you know somebody possibly reading or watching the finished things i've done and be like yeah he wrote that on a load of separate notes didn't he (laughs) (laughs) but Sort of on the Rolling Stone thing quickly, Terry Chenner's Ben Fong Torres is amazing. I don't know if you've seen it. There's a really good Ben Fong Torres documentary on Netflix. Really? No, I haven't. Okay, I'm going to see it. It's really good. There's that and there's a really good series about Rolling Stone as well. That It's on Sky here. I don't know where you... I can't remember what who released it but what it'd be on but that's really worth looking at as well i love that whole rolling stone movement of like you know we're trying to do this thing we hope you dig it yeah (laughs) it's it's very much my ethos for doing anything as well it's kind of like yeah i do this podcast hope you like it if you don't you know cool but if you want to come on this journey with me awesome just don't offer me a shitload of money to (laughs) do exactly Because if somebody was like, yeah, I'll give you like £5,000 to do your podcast, I'd be like, no, that's just not going to be my podcast anymore. So I'm going to second guess every single exactly. thing I do. Um, again, with this film, I love William just figuring the story out. I mean, I think, I don't know if it's done that way. It doesn't really come across great that the fact checker at Rolling Stone is an absolute dick. <laughs> I, I must, I can't imagine. These like, big entities are. I wouldn't doubt it. Kicking his ass over the nose. 
be like, he made it all up, not even giving him the benefit of the doubt that the band might be like, you know, yeah, we don't come across great in this, so we're going to fucking... Exactly. It, it kind of feels... That's possibly the one issue I have with the film, is that you've taken the one female character at Rolling Stone and made her the fucking dick. The bitch. Yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. Uh, of course, like, women, they always nitpick, you know what I mean? I, I don't think it's intended to come across that way, but it really feels like that. It felt it felt that way to me. Yeah. I say, I'm, I'm not sure if that's what he was going for, but it just. You gotta uh, question Cameron, you know, when I when we're at a future press release. It it's also possibly like... that looking at it at a different time <laughs> where you're a bit Maybe. more. <laughs> I don't you, you, start, know. you start to notice as you get older, it's like, I seem to make the female character. It's that um, Clint Eastwood film, Richard Jewell got a lot of shit for making the female character into such a bitch that she wasn't in real life. And you suddenly yeah. become aware of it more and more. It's like, why are they making the female character so antagonist? I suppose because you've got Penny Lane who's like so open that you possibly need the counterpoint. <laughs> <laughs> this witch from Eastwick. Because <laughs> even <laughs> Russell's girlfriend would, would normally be played as like the uptight bitch isn't really played like that. Yeah, exactly. She, she's, you know, coldish at times, but you're also aware that this is a woman that is aware that Russell is fucking... When she's like, who's that girl exactly, with? And everybody at the table's like, she's with me. And she's like, exactly. yeah, so that's who Russell's been fucking... <laughs> Exactly. So, yeah, you can feel it. Like, she has all the right to be like that when your boyfriend is Russell. Yeah. One hundred. So you have to be, like, bad. Imagine putting up with him, you know? Like, yeah, he's, of course, Russell, and he has all this enigma and and mystery, and he's a rock star and stuff, but he's, you know, like, running around. and He's also a big fucking kid, though. The bit of the party where he's, like, got that captive audience of kids around him. I say kids, you know, they're, like, teenagers, but... They're, they're all around him and he's like giving this philosophical thing and then the one kid is like do you want to watch me feed a mouse to my snake he's like yes I do yes I do <laughs> and when the kid's like the cup the red cups have got acid in the, in the beer he just takes it off him and drinks that kid uh, that was mine no mind. <laughs> that smash cut in that as well for him ringing Dave to be kind of like you know I don't know when do you know when acid's kicked in <laughs> and then he's on the roof how do I know I love this part too <laughs> like I said, he's so good in this film and he looks awesome with a mustache very few people in life look great with a mustache I know mustaches scare he, me that band all look amazing Jason Lee with long hair and a beard is like you rock that Jesus look definitely he did I, I wish I was still that skinny that I could pull off that look you you've had you've had to let your hair grow, probably. Uh, see, this is as long as I can pretty much get it before I have oh, to cut it. It totally remind me of me too. Me too. My hair used to be really long, but it used to be you know like the, the princess whatever at school. But then I, I only grew it this long to piss my wife off. Like to sit there every so often. You, do, you do the man bun. You do the man bun. And this will no, I don't do the man bun. When it gets to man bun length, it has to go because nobody looks good with a man bun. During lockdown, it got so long that when I was exercising, I had to tie it up. So I looked like a prick with a little ponytail. <laughs> yeah, you look like it. I was just going to tell you. They I couldn't do. exercise without everything falling into my face. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but, but the yeah. 70s was a really good time. People it would was. just be whatever they want to be. It, there's a reason it. those looks keep coming back. I think, again, this film was a large part of that sort of early 2000s kick. Of like the Penny Lane thrift 
store kind of fashion coming back in to what yeah. the hipster sort of movement looks like now. Because that's very much how people are dressing now, isn't it? It's like a mishmash of stuff that they recycled or upcycled yeah. or whatever. Um, yeah. I mean, she's got that. Saying this without sounding pervy, when she's dancing, it's like the very brief scene, but when she's dancing around the room with just her coat on, and you, know, you see her yeah. topless, but that's not what it's about. It's not kind of like, oh, it's all boobs. It's like, she's just beautiful no. in that scene. She's just this hipster girl. You could feel it. You know, yeah. like, I mean, he's not he's not shooting her to be this sexualized. It's, it's not sexualized like, at any point, exactly. is it? It's only it's sexualized through Russell's free eyes. Free love spirit. This is what you feel. This is the free love spirit of the times. This is and this is what the scene looked like for me. She looks it's amazing almost... in that blue dress as well. Wonderful. When she's sort of like... And I remember... She's sort of done herself up to look a bit more... Yeah. High, not high class, but you know, not not as free spirited as the normal clothes are. She's got that very nice blue dress on, and that. Um, obviously, you know that's the scene where Russell's girlfriend's like, "Who's she with?" And everybody's like, "She's with me." And she knows, yeah. And she's like, "She's yeah, with Russell." Okay. She's with Russell. <laughs> I, love... I love. Sorry. Tell me, I just wanted to tell you about the wardrobe too, because I think the costumes for her are great. The scene where she's there and William is like confronting her about Russell trading her the blouse that she wore because I went and I saw the costume designer what she was thinking she said that she picked this thin kind of like a uh, very very fragile blouse to showcase that Penny Lane was going more vulnerable yeah as time progressed with the band so it shows such a great fashion choice such a great costume yeah great blouse you could feel her vulnerability even through the fabric it is it's those little subtle things even with the band where you can feel the fractures coming in it you notice it in different little bits as well it's so it's so masterfully done i mean it's if you know the imdb grosses that we believe the film didn't even make money at the cinema <laughs> it, it lost money if it was a budget of 60 million and it made 47 million and change everything but it's you know not that i can I'm not saying that's a reflection on it because fuck box office. Of course. <laughs> if, but if, I if we went by that. quality of box office, then several of the Transformers films are fucking masterpieces. Yeah, imagine the money they made. It's, it's, <laughs> I always hate that <laughs> argument about it can't be bad. It made like this much money. This so much like it did because it's spectacle. This is very much a cinema. I mean, I'd love to see this film re released to the cinema. Me too. I'd love to see the bootleg cut get a proper theatrical release. Exactly. Um, but um, sort of, I love that scene in the park when Penny tells William a real name. You see the real Penny. You see, you know, Lady Goodman. Um, it's just so, and I love that Russell's got that thing about you know she didn't even tell me her real name. See, yeah, I know, because I think she connected with William. She was so crucial in William's coming of growth story. But at the same time, for me, she was also. In a way, even though she was vulnerable sexually or like emotionally with the band, but she was still kind of like moving things to her own scheme. She yeah. had her own narrative going on. This is why in the end we see her in this amazing Audrey Hepburn outfit with the hat and all. Because yeah. she she has emerged from this experience. Yes, she lets herself be so vulnerable in it, go with the flow in it, and they should 
they should have thought that they exploited her or used her or whatever, but she was also using them for herself, kind of like to build up herself to go on her other dreams and schemes. So for me, it's just, I don't know, I love her. Yeah, I mean, it's all people discovering themselves. And, and I think, you know, the, the love affair at the center of it is the relationship between William and Russell. It's what very key that that's what the film builds it, up to. You said it beautifully when you said this love triangle. It's yeah. Russell and William and William and Penny Lane and Penny Lane and Russell. They all love each other, but in different, different ways. Like, I didn't even feel like her love to William. She loved him, in my opinion, but just not that kind of love. Not the love it's, she had for Russell. It's that love triangle where none of them are meant to be together. They, they yeah. all want to be with each other kind of thing, sure. but for different reasons, but none of them could be together. Exactly. Kind of, it's like Russell could never be with Penny because that's just not who Russell is. That's not who Penny is. It would be a toxic relationship. You'd have a Sid and Nancy kind yeah, of relationship. Definitely. Of course. Definitely. Um, William and Penny could never be together because they're just two different people. It's he's a kind of a small it's, it's an introvert and an extrovert, isn't it? It's it, it wouldn't work in the long run. Um yeah. and then William and Russell could never be together because William is a music journalist, William's uh, Russell's a rock star kind all of right. thing. It's just, you know, they all serve their purpose. We've all, like I say, we've all had those people in our lives that you're like, I will forever cherish that time we had, but that time we had was done. It's and like you I run into it. somebody you've not seen for years and it's like, I've got nothing to say to you anymore, man. It's like we had exactly. this amazing moment together where we did this thing. And it's, this I imagine is- it's a bit like coming back from war or something to a certain degree. not to that extent or you know like that scene at the end of the hobbit where they're all just sat around the table being like we got fuck all to say to each other we've been through this what the fuck do we talk about now exactly um, i love i love what you just said it's just amazing he would never these people cannot go on knowing each other forever but they were important and crucial in each respective's journey yeah and this happened to me a lot of times. My life is comprised of these small islands. So I can totally relate to this part, particularly. That's what life is. It's like when you always say you'll stay in touch with people you've worked with. But that time moves on. And you, you, know, yeah. you might still be friends with them on Facebook or whatever, but very rare. And although you... you go through a lot together, like maybe certain times where you are more vulnerable in front of them more than you've been in front of your family or your loved ones and or a certain situation, you know, like a crisis at work or something or whatever. But then it's when you're out of this job, it's gone. It's like you can never capture that again. It's because you're not that person anymore as well. It's like exactly Russell will not be that person next time William meets him. William will not be that person. Penny would not be that person. It's it's why you can have like a best friend for years, but then you hit a point and your lives just change. Exactly. It's like, you know, I will always be there for you as a friend. You will always be there for me as a friend, but it's not like it was then. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> We're married to different people. We live in different towns, <laughs> whatever, you know. We made you have this life decisions. now. I have this life now. And exactly. The road parted. It's like Vin Diesel driving off this way and Paul Walker driving off this way and me sat on the sofa in tears because... <laughs> I know. I can't believe it because Paul Walker is dead, Ma. When yeah. that... Again, quick diversion, but Fast and Furious 7 did that so beautifully. I never thought I'd be in tears. A, over Paul Walker, who's a guy I liked, but was never like, you know... Yeah, I know. A diehard Paul Walker fan. Yeah. 
for the most part, I'll freely admit that there were times where I was like, this is a Paul Walker film, isn't it? Like, oh, fuck. Yeah. I liked yeah. the guy. Um, and, I, you know, like I never thought a Fast and Furious film would make me cry either because I was like, I never thought they'd have the delicate touch to fucking do that. But the way those cars part, and it's just fucking hell. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's so good because you could feel Vin Diesel's love for him in real life, kind of like investing itself in the narrative. Yeah. This is the but yes. for me, I love Paul Walker because he was like, I remember crying. And one of my friends, he's like a film critic, and he's like, Johnny never liked the Paul Walker movie except maybe one or two. I'm like, I know, but he was so hot. Are you serious? And he's like, okay, <laughs> he's so good looking. I feel bad. It's like, okay, why are you? Because I kept posting, I was on Facebook at the time, kept posting, you know, like things about Paul Walker and stuff. And my friend was like, in the inbox, like, Jay, stop. Why are you writing about him that much? You don't like Paul Walker. It's like, he's just so good looking. I don't care. I love him so. But, you know, I just, I don't know. I was so, for me, I'm not really emotional when celebrities die unless something just clicks in and stuff. I'm not, but unless it's like somebody I'm a massive fan of. So, like, yeah. when Springsteen so, goes, I just leave me the fuck alone. Bowie. I'm, I'm going to, yeah. What happened to me with Bowie? I was Again, so... Bowie. I was a casual fan of Bowie. My uncle was a massive fan of Bowie. I was a casual fan of Bowie. I'm a was crazy a fan of Bowie. Yeah, I, I kept replaying you like, you should have seen me, like, ground control to me. My sister's like, stop. Yeah. That was that was rough, though, because we lost Alan Rickman. We lost Bowie and we lost Alan Rickman. It's like the guy who told me I could be a hero and then the guy who showed me that it could be more fun to be a villain. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I, I mean, the one that hit me hardest was Heath Ledger because it just came out of fucking nowhere because that dude was like the big yes, acting talent generation. of my generation. It's, yeah, I know what you mean. Exactly. And it's like I heard a passing comment on the radio but didn't hear it properly. So I stayed up all night watching the news, waiting for somebody to fucking say something and nothing came. And I remember my mother when Princess Diana died. Like my mother was a, was one of the great Diana fans. So when she died, my mom was like, oh. And she kept, you know, like buying magazines and stuff. Yeah. And like, look at her. Look at how beautiful she was. And just obsessing over all the details and stuff. So I totally get this moment. They're yeah. sad. But it's... let's let me tell you that Brokeback Mountain is one of the most beautiful romantic movies ever. Oh, Brokeback Mountain, 10 Things I Hate About You, he's amazing in 10 Things I Hate About You. Night's Tale's fucking great as well. Um, crazy, yeah. You made a one about Night's Tale, right? No, not yet. You have to, man. Are you serious? I know. This, this, we got, we got plenty of time. There's, there's only so many weeks in a year I can do episodes on. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't... I'm not down with this whole, you know, a celebrity's died... I'm going to do a massive long post about me. Yeah, so exactly. Like, it's about me. Yeah, I know what you mean. If if a celebrity dies and it impacts me, I'll change my Facebook cover picture to reflect it. I will not say about words it. about it. Because it just really... Whenever we try to do it on the Nerds podcast where we talk about somebody dying, it always had a horrible segue into the next thing where it just sounded like we were just going through the motions on it. It's like we oh. weren't. We were trying to be genuine, but it just sounds frivolous when you're like, anyway... There's a new Batman film coming out. <laughs> you just sound like an asshole. <laughs> We've gone off on a massive tangent. <laughs> I mean, actually, it, it's not a massive tangent because Philip Seymour Hoffman, when he died, was genuinely fucking devastating. That he was, was brutal, such an yeah. amazing actor. And I felt bad for him too. Like, I felt like I wanted to hug him, him and yeah. Robin Williams. Like, I felt like, oh my god, I can't believe life is was so hard, even on you guys. Like, you could feel the cruel like the cruelty of life, like how hard it is to just 
get up and face another day like i i feel like something empathetic in me yeah no i i know it's like when you watch this it's because he's so warm he's so curmudgeonly yet warm at the same time in this film his relationship with william is beautiful it's um and again in real life cameron crowe had that similar sort of thing with less lester bangs in real life which is why that's in there but it's just so beautifully done you just can't such a fucking shame Damn, yeah. But one, I'm not going to get that Philip Seymour Hoffman Lester Bangs movie. <laughs> and I want it. I want it so bad. Imagine. I mean, I possibly don't. If I had it, I'd possibly be kind of like, nah, this is a bit too much Philip Seymour Hoffman as Lester Bangs. I would have watched it. Oh, we I would have watch watched it. it and then have a debate about it. Maybe, did we like it? Did we not like it? Blah, blah, blah. And then we'd see his life outside. What did he do? It's, yeah, it's just. So, like I said, I recommend getting that book. I'll put a link in the show notes and the title and that. Yeah. But um, I'm gonna read it. But sort of coming to the end on almost finished. Then obviously everything goes to shit. William doesn't get his story. I wonder if they still paid it. <laughs> they they won't print his story. I'm sure cause... they paid him. For me, they did. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm I'm assume. Well, we know that the story comes out eventually because you see the. Rolling Stone cover with Stillwater on it, so you know they eventually print it. But can yeah. you imagine doing all that writing and then not getting paid? I mean, you get the life no, experience. Die. It's not, not that the fucking money. Are you happened to me? I die seriously. Die. I have had it a lot and hard dark times. The the way the band turn on him is genuinely. I mean, you get it from like you know Jeff and that because all along he's like you're the enemy. I love that he constantly just refers to him as the enemy. <laughs> Even when I'm he welcomes him into the group, he's like you're still the enemy. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but i love that you know i love the way that sapphire that's conversation between sapphire and russell at the end where she's like we all know what you did to him even penny knows what you did to him and and russell like fuck i was a dick wasn't i (laughs) and i love russell ringing penny i love that conversation me too i always love it's so awkward for a guy who's so confident in his own bullshit you, you can feel that, you know, and I love that Penny sends him to William instead. I love how he realizes he's at William's house. Because <laughs> he's got that he's got that thing of familiarity with Branson McDonald's like, I know the voice. <laughs> I know this feeling. Oh, and so he sees awesome. a picture of William and he's just kind of Oh no, it makes sense. She's amazing. I told you she's like playing with Everett. She's she's the main She's made the, when her and when Anita brings William home and those two make up on the porch. She's like, "I forgive you." She's like, "Didn't ask for forgiveness." Exactly, I love this part too. And then they, you think, "Oh fuck, it's going to kick off again." And then they just both laugh, and it's like, "No, this is great." And it's like, you know, she's gone and become who she is, and she's comfortable to come home now. And and the no. mother, her mother accepts of who she is, and the same with William. She accepts William. I love how she supports. I love how the Penny OD scene is intercut with William's graduation. Yeah. Which his graduation is meant to be his passage into adulthood, but it's actually him watching Penny OD and get her stomach is pumped is his yeah. transition into adulthood. It's... This is obviously your. I feel this is the scene that you truly love in the movie. I feel like you it's loved it because it's done because it should be horrible. It's, it's so smart. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's done. Watching anybody you love like being forced to throw up. Let's face it, there's nothing sexy about throwing up. There's, there's nothing that you look at somebody throwing up and be like, fucking love that person. 
just yeah <laughs> oh nothing but still i know but what you mean it's such a genuine moment it's it's that whole cliche of you know you know you find the person you love when you're willing to hold their hair back while they're throwing up in a toilet no i know what you mean yeah exactly <laughs> i'm not even willing to hold my own hair back <laughs> me too i just no I I leave me. nobody get get across to me please let me be it <laughs> i'm so dramatic when i'm sick it's like I say it's just such a beautifully done scene <laughs> the stevie wonder song everything it's just it's perfect. It's I, fucking, mean, I could be projecting shit onto it that isn't even there, but that's. This I'm, movie, I'm pretty sure that's what he's going for. This is exactly what what you're. This is one of those films that I don't want to listen to the director's commentary on it because I yeah, don't want to know what he was going the charm for. To kill the magic, I know what you mean. Because yeah. I'm not saying I'm not saying anything I ever say about a film is definitively right. It's always just how I perceive it. Same anyway. here. People can then look at that and go, really, you got that? I didn't get that at all, but it's interesting. It's, I always love when somebody tells me, like, you know, oh, no, actually, I read this scene like that. I'm like, that's fucking interesting. I'm going to rewatch it with that in mind now and see if I've just been reading it wrong all this time. There's nothing worse, though, than the director being like, this is what we were going for with this. And like, no, 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 no. That's not what you were going for. Don't get me wrong. I'd love to talk even. to Cameron Crowe about it. <laughs> If if I Don't could have like all. dream guests, Cameron Crowe would be one of those. I mean, he had his film had such an impact on me as oh as a writer, God. as anything, as a music lover. To actually, you know, somebody who makes you listen to music differently. Exactly, definitely. For me, the scene that I feel I have the same passion about it, just like the one you described, is the one with the Johnny Mitchell River songs. Yeah, the way she just extends her her hand, and you could feel her even. Penny Lane with her Penny Lane attitude changing because he just they held each other's stare for long and the song was even more wonderful than it actually is as if it was reverberating throughout yeah. the halls and it's a beautiful it's a beautiful scene and William realizing gosh these people know each other they have something going on like it was well played like you gotta give it to Cameron man he's just he knows how to it's... make to build a scene that's when you understand music i mean you can again i don't want to sound like i'm slagging him off but you can't appoint the use of music in this film with Zack snyder's use of music in army of the dead fucking zombie by the Cram cranberries opening your zombie film it's like dude no it's like even if no, you understand wrong. And, zombie... and the zombie song is not even about zombies you I know. idiot even if he I understood that even if you're like, you know, yeah, yeah, I've got this cool irony about using a song called Zombie that isn't about zombies in a zombie movie. It's like, no, dude, <laughs> it does not play that way at all. Yeah, um, it doesn't. Screw you. But, <laughs> it made me angry at him for some reason. Or even like oh, Suicide Squad with this awful use of fucking music. It's like... I know. Pointless. Stop trying to sell a fucking soundtrack in the first 10 minutes of your movie. Exactly. Just I mean, I, I, I've always joked with Cameron Crowe films, like, you know, it's the movie to the soundtrack. Because to a certain degree, it is. The soundtrack is so strong. Exactly. That it's almost like he did a playlist and it was like, I'm going to build a movie around this. It's the opposite <laughs> to, I'm going to make a movie and then build a soundtrack around it. Yeah. <laughs> but in the best possible way, not in a cheap way. Um, like I say, sort of quickly coming back to the end, I love when... Um, Russell realizes where he is, and then he's in William's room, and he's like, "I think, I think we both wanted to be with her. I guess she wanted us to be together." And it's like, that's 
thing. That's my one critique with this film, and I always misremember the ending because I always think it should end with Russell answering the question. What do you love about music? I always, in my head, it would pull back from that, and that would be where the film ends. I think the other stuff is there. You need the penny, getting a ticket to Morocco, Monaco. Yeah. Um, you need the family back together, eating meals and that, but I would have edited it slightly differently, so it ended with William saying, so Russell, what do you love about music? I know what you mean. Uh-huh. It would have been... Mm-hmm. That that would be how I would have ended it personally. I mean, who the fuck am I to tell Cameron Crowe to end his movie? No, we're just the fans. The fans sometimes are more passionate about the work but... than the actual creator. So it feels, I don't know, it feels refreshing. You know, Cameron Crowe, if you're listening to us, this is what Stuart envisioned the ending. So can you tell us? The, the ending is great. Anyway, you need all those scenes. Like I said, I just would have done it, edited it slightly differently so it ended I know what on. you mean, and it's a it's a thought too. I'm gonna rewatch it again after our podcast and then see. Oh, Stewart has a point. I say in my head, I always remember it ending with those two in the room. Yeah, I forget I about know. the other bits. And I know remember him being there, but I remember him being sort of before that because I would have had it that him going into William's room. Then you start putting those. I would have had him realizing he's at William's house. Then cut to Penny Lane at the airport. Yeah, that would have been awesome too. And then editing. Yeah. Because like I say, I feel that the relationship at the centre of it is William and Russell. Me too. And that and for should me, have Penny been... is Penny. Yeah. She's just there on her own, you know? They're just coming in and out of her life. But the relationship between them, yes, it's a core. But like I say, I love all those little bits, Kate, and I love Russell walking up and kissing Jeff when they're performing on stage. And it's like, you know, yeah, the band's all right. Yeah. <laughs> Penny's all right. The family's all right. The band's all right. Everybody's all right. Everybody's happy. And... But it would have been a very high ending. I know what you mean. And I hate it when at some movies I feel like this is the ending. And I'm like, they took me to the climax. And then another part comes up. Yeah. Like, Ugh, why? Please. For me, the ending was there. You totally remind me of this show, Supernatural. For me, the season five finale was the perfect ending to this story. This epic should have ended here. Bye, guys. Not going to see you again, although you broke my heart. They continued to 15 seasons. So imagine 10 seasons. CW. For me, I didn't see them. I didn't see them. They did it for with Smallville as well. <laughs> it ended at five. Season five is the end. Are you guys serious? Goodbye. So there's no shame in being like, we've ended perfectly. Let's walk away. I know, but this is not how the CW shows go. It's like fucking reaching a climax and then still fumbling around afterwards. Exactly. It's like, no, let's just cuddle and move on. <laughs> <laughs> Um, for me it's gone but like I say that's a minor critique in an ending that's already great that's a minor critique in a film that is fucking perfection <laughs> I know I just yeah I mean it's is there awesome. anything else you sort of want to add on it that we didn't cover because I know we've sort of jumped all over the place <laughs> we, we, talk, we just talked about everything for me also the, the idea of the casting all these yeah, just the first scene, because I think he's so great that he picked Zoe Deschanel just for this minor part, because she is, to me, she's eyes. You know, like Zoe Deschanel is not an actress who you can build on a film on. She's just a face that you can project something on. So for me, it was the beginning when she's just there and she's staring at us with her beautiful eyes. You can feel she's the gatekeeper to this world. And that's yeah. it. Not unlike Penny Lane, who is a 
character you can just flesh out and just dissect and stuff like that because Kate Hudson is way greater an actress in my opinion so I just love the the beginning you know the idea that when she just looks at us with those eyes yeah. you can feel her letting us in she's inviting us to this journey because she has the eyes yeah yeah she's I mean <laughs> it reminds me of that great thing that goes around of like you know Zoe Deschanel when she's like not got her bangs <laughs> it's like I can now understand why nobody recognizes that Clark Kent is Superman because you look yeah. at a picture of Zoe Deschanel and she hasn't got bangs. You're like, who the fuck is Different that? Different woman. Who familiar. is this? I know. It's like, Definitely. it's so weird. I love that the fact that that's been going around. is like, yeah, this is why nobody <laughs> recognizes <laughs> Superman as being Clark Kent. Clark Kent, yeah. It's like, do his hair differently, lose the glasses. It's like, yep, yeah, completely different Boom. person. Completely different person. Like, Don't buy it. Look at this picture. Who is this? I guarantee you'll be like 30 guesses in before you say the chick from 500 <laughs> Days of Summer. Exactly. <laughs> and and I use chick as that do bro kind of way of answering, not that I refer to people as chicks. I do yeah. love that when he's uh, when Jeff's realized I keep calling women chicks <laughs> after he's had the article written. Which is the, the article, yeah, exactly. I sound like an like asshole. An <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like I say, it's just, Hey, how does it feel to be the mother of the greatest rock journalist we've met? Ow! <laughs> Hello? Hello? Look, you got a you got a great kid here. There's nothing to worry about. We're taking good care of him and you should you know, you should come to the show sometime. Hey, Join the hey, circus. Listen to me, mister. Your charm doesn't work on me. I'm on to you. Oh, of course you'd like him. Well, yeah. He worships you people. And that's fine by you as long as he helps make you rich. Rich? I don't think so. Listen to we me. Si He's a smart, good-hearted, 15-year-old kid with infinite potential. This is not some apron-wearing mother you're speaking to. I know all about your Valhalla decadence, and I shouldn't have let him go. He's not ready for your world of compromised values and diminished brain cells that you throw away like confetti. Am I speaking to you clearly? Yes, yes, ma'am. If you break his spirit, harm him in any way, keep him from his chosen profession, which is law, something you may not value, but I do, you will meet the voice at the other end of this telephone, and it will not be pretty. Do we understand each other? Uh, yes, ma'am. I didn't ask for this role. But I'll play it. Now go do your best. Be bold, and mighty forces will come to your aid. Gerda said that... It's not too late for you to become a person of substance, Russell. Please get my son home safely. You know, I'm glad we spoke. Everything's perfect in this film for me. I love, I love his um, Francis McDormand's acting when she tells William not to do, you know, don't do drugs, and then he's embarrassed and she's embarrassed. Right. Just the way she plays that, just like, oh fuck. Um. <laughs> I love the awkwardness of William after he's like first spoken to Stillwater at that first gig and then at the end he's like saying goodbye to people by name thinking he's cool everybody he just cool. sounds so fucking needy that Penny Lane's like I love it chill out and then you get the juxtaposition of that later with the Vic character yeah who is just so hyper about you know I mean he signed for sure he signed it then I'm gonna go to this they'll be at this <laughs> awesome because awesome. I can relate to both those characters because I can imagine that you know if I was a bit more outgoing and down with meeting famous people yeah. 
I'm generally not. <laughs> I would be like Wednesday. I'd have the death coats, which is why it's good for the universe not to be another extrovert. <laughs> My sister's like, shut up. You're just you're ruining everything. Awesome. So uh, we sort of touched on it. Um, have you seen the untitled bootleg edition of the film? Well, I think I did. Now that I remember, yeah, I might have seen it. Because it's I got remember like an extra 40 minutes. You told it. me. Yeah, you told me about the sequence of the little William. I saw this one. You've got, yeah, younger William in the shower where all yeah, the other exactly. kids are like, you know, William's got no pubes. And he's like, yeah. I shaved them. And they're like, oh, you're funny. I love him so much. Yeah. So that that cut funny. is so much better. Even Patrick, um, who gets like, you know, that's the better cut. He's like, I can't watch yeah. the other cut because. Wow. See? It just yeah. adds so much more character. It's, don't get me wrong, the theatrical cut is a masterpiece on its Perfect own. Perfect, too, on its own. It's but just, this one. It's like highlights you know, even yeah it, it's the polish on perfection kind of thing um it's so good it's the version that now the 4k's out you get both versions with it so because i think i've got almost famous on the dvd with the um untitled bootleg edition in it i've got the blu-ray and i got the four but the blu-ray never had the uncut bootleg edition in it so it always felt a bit mm, it's not quite right and then like i say the 4k came out last year for the 21st anniversary I was like, I need to. I really want to get yeah. the hundred odd quid five disc soundtrack. Yeah, it just can't right. justify awesome. the money at the minute. I know what you mean. Yeah, I bought the two disc <laughs> one because I couldn't let it pass without not getting any of it. <laughs> um, sort of, what are your feelings on a sequel? Because obviously, I always like to ask about sequels or remakes. I, you can never remake it. It'd be a nineties band now. Oh. If, if they did it now, it would, though. It'd be a 90s grunge band, wouldn't it? Late 80s, 90s. And I would grunge. hate all the actors doing whatever the fuck they were doing, and it would be just fucking... Because no, obviously they've done, a, they've done a stage show. They've done a musical on stage, haven't they? Almost famous. Yeah, I think I saw this, yeah. I saw I just, photos of that. I don't know if I want to see it. It's like the Footloose musical. It's like, I love the film so much, I don't think I'd enjoy it. You, you love Footloose. Exactly. I you just love it. I, love, I know you're a big fan. Show me. I got the game. I got the Footloose game for Christmas. Oh my goodness. It's got little dancing boots in it. I love you so much, Stuart. You're awesome. Such Nobody wants to play it with me in this house. But... I'd play it with you if I was visiting. Like, yeah, come on, Stuart. Let's play this crap. Let's see what the fuck happens. I'm going to the UK. I want to play the Footloose game. Definitely. Yeah, I'm just going just, to play the Footloose game. I just adore the film. I, I did a little Volkswagen Beetle model kit. Of a bottom, um, so I could paint it like the footloose. <laughs> that's that's. Awesome. I just need to add the rust to it. <laughs> awesome. It, it's not quite right. The seats are on the wrong side. But yeah, I mean, I, but I just can't quite bring myself to go to the musical. And then I was going to go when it was coming back last time, but then COVID happened. So I've watched the remake of Footloose, but <laughs> you're going to remake it. They remade oh, Footloose, damn. yeah. Remade it even? I didn't. They remade it remake. about ten years oh, ago. Ugh. Thank God I didn't watch it. Really. Not that bad. Really, I'm gonna watch it then after your recommendation. It's not. I'm I'm it's not. It's not, it's not Footloose, but you know, it's it's not a bad. It could have been a lot worse. Um, almost famous remake would be trashy, and I'd hate it so much. Yeah, you, I mean, you couldn't remake it. Um, I mean, because '90s bands are just are nothing. There is no '90s rock scene. It was terrible. Everything was just bullshit. So why would they like? Well, yeah, because the Seattle movement, which was the big movement of the '90s before, like yeah. your Britpop and all that, which was Britpop would be kind of interesting, but at the same time, it was also played out. That's the beauty of the '70s; is it wasn't played out like the '90s was. 
All I want them to do a movie about is Jerry Halliwell from the Spice Girls. Make a movie about her, make her badass, and discard all the other four. For me, like, they don't exist. She was the only one who was, like, because I loved everything about her back in the day when I was obsessed with the Spice Girls. I mean, a sequel, as much as I'd love to see more of these characters, I feel like, like I say, I've been on this journey with them. I, I don't know what I'd have to say to them. I know that um, it was quite a good interview when the 20th anniversary of the film came out with Patrick Fugit, where, probably saying his name wrong, Fugit, fuck it, whatever. <laughs> Fugit, yeah. I'm sure it's Fugit. Um, where he said that he'd spoken to Cameron Crowe about, did he think William and Penny ever got together? No. And Cameron no. Crowe was like, no. No, he never, never sees her again. Of course, never. Never. She'd never see him again. Because that'd be all you could do in a sequel is bring them all back together. But why? Oh, the sequel <laughs> sounds horrible. I don't want it. Okay. No. Like I say, there, there, there isn't a sequel being planned. It's just, you know, as as a writer, you always think where your characters go off you once know, the story's ended kind of thing. Are meant to be left where they are. Like I say, this is that moment in time. They wouldn't be those characters next time you see them. Like say, but personally, do you I, like I, a sequel? Would you want a sequel? No, just personally, no. just yeah. Thank God, we're on the same page. Yeah. Ooh. I mean, if you want to know what happened to William after the film, just look at Cameron Crowe. So he exactly. went on to be a film director. He still works for Rolling Stone every so often. He's still massively into his music. He's written awesome books on Billy Wilder. Dude, he did an awesome Pearl Jam documentary. That's yeah. Russell, That's really important. Russell, just look at any seventies rocker now. They're either exactly. they're either the Rolling Stones, or they were a guy walking around a garden center singing fucking covers of bad songs. Exactly. Badly. This is the thing. Um, and Penny Lane is just Penny Lane. <laughs> she's 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 had a lot of lives, many lives, and well, she's not even Penny Lane anymore. She's Lady Goodman again. Exactly. That, That's her journey is to. Her journey is becoming who she was, or you know, mixing the Penny Lane and the Lady Goodman, and that's finding who she is. Exactly. It's it's all people finding who they are, and like I say, Lester Bang sadly died a few years after the age he is in this film. But has there been a movie where you feel like you want really wanted a, a, a sequel? Even if the movie has a conclusion for it, like, was there anything in you that felt like I really want to see them again? Because usually I don't. Even no. if I love the characters so much, it's weird because I've been rewatching the Bourne films between other films this past. Yeah, week. I can see you just and, watching. And I watched the Bourne Identity. Like, this is a film that ends perfectly. It Why? doesn't need a sequel, but exactly. the sequel is great, possibly, arguably, even better than the Bourne Identity, and it's got like one of the best endings in films ever. Ooh. which they then fuck up in the third one but even the second one ends perfectly and you're like you do not need another one and then the third one comes along and you're like I don't really need this but it's really fucking good still it's good still and it yeah. ends the story nicely you're like you don't ever need to do another Jason Bourne film and they did <laughs> they did yeah exactly I know what you mean but but I think these are like action movies like for me Taken was ending good but they have taken two and i watched that and like okay i can see his daughter getting kidnapped over and over again maybe the other one kidnapped the dad or something and let's have see, fun my disappointment with the taken sequels is that they didn't go with taken taken two and then the third one being look who's taken now yeah because no one's taken in the third one really then what are they doing i didn't see the third one what did they do in it again i watched all three of those um his wife gets killed 
and he's framed for a murder. As much as there's stuff I enjoy in the first Taken, yeah. it's a horribly grotty film. I know. Uh, yeah. The whole sex trade stuff, it's like making an action film out of sex trafficking just isn't... So bad, and just yeah. sort of like the throwaway nature of like, you know, oh yeah, I found her friend, she's dead, fuck that. She'll be fine, she'll pop up in Arrow. And then the second one's at least fun again, but that's got that horrible thing of like, you know, who looks vaguely far and let's kill him. Exactly. My dad is obsessed with the Bourne films too. Like he is really obsessed with, my dad loved Matt Damon for a long time. So for him, the Bourne identity was just wow. And then I, he kept watching them. Identity and supremacy, I was properly obsessed with. I was watching them like once or twice a week. Because again, that's the way I get with films. If I get into them, I get sucked into them. I even watched the Richard Chamberlain original Born Identity two-part miniseries thing. Wow. That's good. Very different. It's very 80s. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I know. (laughs) Not necessarily in a bad way. It's it's fine, but it's not... If you go from, like, you know, the Matt Damon thing to, like, this slow, leisurely-paced, middle-aged man... It feels so different. The other thing is, I was watching the board and I was like, fuck, this is like 20 years ago. Jesus. I'm going to cry. I would have thought. Matt Damon was only 30 then. I can't believe how old is he now? Like 15? Damn, this is bad. I can't believe it. We're a baby. (laughs) It's it's so weird. Yeah. But, all right, I think that's sort of it on. Now we're on the born identity. I think that's it on Almost Famous. Um, um, le- like I say, unless there's anything else you wanted to add, I, like I say, we could go through every cast member and say how great they are, but I think a blanket, everybody is amazing in this film. Definitely. Totally agree. Now, mysterious. How old are you? 18. Me too. How old are we really? 17. Me too. Actually, I'm 16. (laughs) Me too. Isn't it funny? The truth just sounds different. I'm 15. What's your real name? I'll never tell. The enemy! Russell! Hey, hey, this is Penny Lane. Penny Lane, Russell Hammond. Pleasure. Penny Lane, like the song. Have we met? If, If you don't mind then, I will throw some movie questions at you. The, the second questionnaire. Okay. Um, um, which is kind of fitting for Almost Famous, actually. So, good news. Hollywood have greenlit a movie of your life, and they've given you creative control, and they'd like to know the following things. Would it be a fact or fiction film, or a mix of the two? mix of the two, but 80% fiction. I think most things. <laughs> <laughs> most things in my life are 80% fiction. I think most of it goes around. I think, I think most biopics are. Exactly. It always yeah. cracks me up whenever you get, it's like when Elvis came out and they were like, you know, this is what they got right and this is what they got wrong. It's like, yeah, no, they didn't get it wrong. They just took artistic license because it would have been dull as fuck. Exactly, <laughs> you idiot. It would be boring. It's like, you know, 
I think you'll find that Queen wrote that song here, not as it is depicted in this film. It's like, just let it go, man. Shut up. Yeah, exactly. Shut up, fucker. It's like, for the sake of storytelling. <laughs> All right, then. <laughs> uh, what genre is the film going to be? Thriller. Unfortunately, <laughs> because there's been a lot of bad shit. Just picturing you as, like, Jason Bourne. <laughs> no, maybe I'll be the, I don't think I'll be, like, the girlfriend. <laughs> But you know, she'll be like a character, like she'd be like a poet and a writer, and he'd be like pissed off trying to protect her from doing stupid stuff. Okay. All right then. Who's playing you? Dream casting. No, okay, for me, I think I was just like for me. Oh my god, I'm gonna turn you off. I don't want to listen to my cousin. It's just so fitting. Should be totally me like personality wise. Who was that? Look wise. Melissa McCarthy from Bridesmaids, you know her. And if they make it until I'm old, I think it will be Anthony Hopkins for sure. Wanting to be me, be old me. But it will be like Melissa McCarthy, and then we'd have a flash forward scene with Anthony Hopkins reminiscing about the past. To be fair, Melissa McCarthy would play me, so that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) All right, then. Who's playing your love interest in the film, either based on a real life love interest or one made up for the film? Love interest. I throw that in because anybody wife? that's married is kind of like, shit, do I have to cast my wife? <laughs> oh, yeah. And then it's no, we like, can make okay. one up. If we're going fiction, we can make up a wife. Exactly. But if we like Basil, look, you look like one of my exes, by the way. You totally look like him. I was just telling my sister and I showed her you, and I was like, Stuart looks like blah, blah, blah. And she's like, oh, fuck, yeah. See? Looks totally like him. So you totally like one of my exes but if we think personality wise my ex was an actor so i'd say austin butler of course <laughs> and he'd be in love with melissa mccarthy and we'd have like tons of i want to see that pairing <laughs> melissa mccarthy and austin butler <laughs> see i have this weird thing with austin butler that i he's like elvis to me now yeah he cannot be one of those else. one of, for whatever criticism people want to level at elvis Austin Butler makes you forget that you're watching Austin Butler. Exactly. Almost to the point where you see Elvis in real life afterwards, and you're kind of disappointed that he's not Austin no, Butler. You're not good as exactly. Good I mean, Elvis Austin. is amazing, and I'm not taking anything away from Elvis, but Austin Butler is so good in that film. That's it's a, very good it's, a, it's a bit like Whacking Phoenix as Johnny Cash. You kind of like he's not Johnny Cash, is he? It's like Johnny Cash exactly. isn't Whacking Phoenix. Whacking Phoenix is yeah. Johnny Cash. I'm all in on that. Right. Brilliance, yeah. But this, I, this... I have another ex too. I have to get another one. Like, and he'd be like Jonah Hill, because <laughs> he's a type. I've had, I've had an awesome... <laughs> I really hope it's I'm not the one. Movie. Really hope I'm not the Jonah Hill one. Nothing against Jonah <laughs> no, Hill. You're the ex who. <laughs> no, 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 no. He looked like the one who was a surfer. So good. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. I delivered post to somebody the other day, and he was like. You go to this gym. I was like, no, I really don't. He was like, oh, there's a guy there who looks just like you. I was like, I hope he's in better shape. <laughs> All right, then. Uh, who's directing the film? I want to say, I want it to be either Jim Jarmusch or Wong Carway. And I know they've never done thrillers before, but I'll get them to do a thriller and see what it's like. It will be like many lenses, many lingering shots and stuff like that. And it won't be understandable. They won't have like a sequence. It will be like out of sequence and stuff like that. And I want that. I want, And it will be like a weird narrative of sorts, but still. And I want Melissa McCarthy, of course, to be like 
like me, like foul mouth and laughing and talking and drinking all the time. But at the same time, I want her to be silent, of course, at times, especially the scenes where she's with Austin Butler, you know, like I want the thing between them. Like I take a different spin and imagine like two crazy directors like them, like Jim Jarmusch and Juan Carway directing a thriller. Yeah. Oh my God, this would be chaos. I think they'd boo us at Cam. Like this is shit. Yeah. Can yeah. fucking love everything. You'll be fine at Can. <laughs> Seriously, good, but it won't make a penny at the box office. <laughs> Who's gonna watch that crap? Maybe the Austin Butler fans. <laughs> All right then. Who's doing the score and/or soundtrack? So like a Prince-style concept album soundtrack, like he did for Batman, or Madonna's concept album for Dick Tracy. So definitely Neil Young. Or, you know, like Jim Jarmusch's weird squirrel band that did the Patterson soundtrack. But Neil Young was great in that band. Like, you could feel like this guitar sound. I want that. Especially in the scenes where nothing is happening. Or the sex scenes, which will be a lot. <laughs> I'll be like... <laughs> well, you watched all those movies about sex, so... It's, it's got to pay off. <laughs> no, it has to, because body positivity and Melissa. And, you know, like, we have Elsa Butter, so we want all the girls to come and pay at the box office. So, yeah, we're just going to make a great movie that nobody understands but us. But this is my life. I'd like to know this is my life. It's a series of mess and chaos and, you know, unfinished business and things that don't fit. Trust me. So this is this is what I'm telling you. Just somewhere, Jimmy Fallon and Metallica. <laughs> I have Jimmy Fallon, who's the lead guitarist of Metallica, and he'll be playing at a concert that Melissa goes to and watches Austin. That's a reference that's going to pay off when people listen to your top 10 of anything episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. And final question What's the title of the film? Okay. Hmm. Live and let die. <laughs> Might have been I, used. I'm gonna make, see. So it was a Bond movie, but it's a J movie, assholes. So live and let die. <laughs> people would hate me more. Like imagine all the people like they cannot use this title. It was a James Bond movie, and then it's this this messy child <laughs> hybrid. <laughs> no. Awesome. We have to have the flash forward scene with Anthony Hopkins, and I don't know who's gonna play the lover when it's Anthony Hopkins. Then, no, the lover would be dead, of course. But Jonah Hill will be Jonah Hill, but we'll age him. Tom Hanks is the colonel. (laughs) (laughs) Anthony Hopkins is you, Tom Hanks is the colonel. But as a different character, but looking like the Colonel, just that love scene. Directed by Jim Jarmusch and Wong Kar Wai. Guns N' Roses, Live and Let Die plays in the background. Jimmy Fallon on guitar. With his slack hat on. Hey, I want this movie so bad. Oh, I'm glad we didn't put these questions off. I told you, for any... <laughs> why do you take the enjoyment of just letting out all my balls take crazy <laughs> shit on, on you and on listeners? Oh my god. Oh my god. It's what this is for, man. <laughs> See, who would have given you that answer? Anybody exactly. 
a movie that's crazy. And the thing is about their life. <laughs> I can imagine you just ending the podcast and like, what kind of life did she have? <laughs> I'm just picturing Jim Jarmusch and Wong Kar Wai just behind the camera being kind of like, no, and they've got no idea. Just roll with it, man. <laughs> Getting paid. <laughs> <laughs> I have to get out the Jimmy Fallon image from my head. <laughs> going to send you a load of Jimmy Fallon pictures later. Please. please. Not, not in a weird way. He's <laughs> sending me gym pics. <laughs> what, I've like him lifting weights? No, Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Have you ever seen the film called Spontaneous? I know. I love Spontaneous. I love the bit where he sends her a dick pic and then it's Richard Nixon. <laughs> yes. This poor thing. I love it. It's crazy. She's the kind of character that reminds me of me too. I love her so I love everything about this movie. That film is so fucking bleak, but so uplifting at the same time. I know. It's just it's such a fucking little gem that slipped under the radar. I discovered it I on know. Sky Movies. I was like, sounds all right. I'm going to watch it. Me too. I know what you mean. I was like, why aren't enough people talking about this? It's so good. Wow. It is. What, what have you got coming up? Anything people should be looking out for? Write-ins, podcast appearances? Well, yeah, there's this really cool episode with Generation Dan podcast. I really think people are just going to get a laugh out of it. And, of course, my episode on the Top 10 podcast, talking about Top 10. Uh, Such a stories. fun show to be on. It's crazy. And with me involved, it will be even crazier, I think. So um, I also have this, I don't know, I have an artistic collaboration with a friend, but I'm just going to go all mysterious on it. I'm working on it, hopefully, like a visual poetry thing or short movie thing i'm not sure yet but i hope it will be done and of course i'm writing as usual on the pros.com jalan salman and on twitter and on instagram you can just find me you'll find all my things my visual poetry series just post all my links and all my ramblings and stuff and i just love to interact with people awesome i'll um yeah i'll put all the links in the show notes if you send me links for the I can get the top 10 link if you send me the link for the other podcast and I'll put that in as well. And like I say, anything else you want me to direct people to. Um, Awesome. Thank you for doing this. Thank you, Uh, Terrence. We shall reconvene at some point and do Begin Again and every other film we've mentioned. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. We have to. We have to do Begin Um, Again at least. But yeah, no, thank you for doing this and thank you for kicking off this series uh, with a film that I absolutely fucking love. (laughs) It's so much easier when it's a film you love apart from you just like... (laughs) <laughs> like, Jesus, slow down let's get some kind of order yeah. <laughs> but i very much yeah. go for that two excited people in a pub after they've watched a movie so <laughs> with with the only downside being i don't drink but <laughs> <laughs> so i can't even blame it on booze <laughs> you can't you just blame it on stewart <laughs> awesome right i'm gonna stop this and we'll we'll pretend we're saying goodbye we're not. All right. <laughs> Cheers. See ya. Cheers. Bye. See ya. Bye. So this is uh, where the enemy sleeps. You know, I think we both wanted to uh, to be with her. And she wanted us to be together. 
You should give her a call. You both live in the same city. You really think I should? Yeah. That girl really cares about you. Man, I never even knew her real name. Oh, I uh, called your magazine and told them the truth. And I don't know what they're gonna do with it, but I told them every word you wrote was true. gonna do this one more time. So, Russell, what do you love about music? begin with everything that was almost famous and why not I'd like to thank Jai Lam for joining me on the episode to talk about the film be sure to check out her poetry and her writings by checking out the links in the show notes at the time of recording this episode almost famous is available in the UK on DVD import blu-ray and on 4k which features both the theatrical cut and the untitled bootleg edition it's also available to purchase or rent digitally from Amazon, YouTube and Sky and possibly some other places. If you haven't seen the film and you're going to check out a version, I highly recommend going straight to the untitled bootleg edition. Uh, it's a far superior version of the film. Not that there's anything wrong with the other version of the film, but the untitled one is the complete package. We put a shout out on the socials for your thoughts on and memories of seeing the film. And we had a reply from Mr. Forbes who said, Jason Lee is great in this. I think this was the first film I saw Lee in after his genius parts in More Rats and Chasing Amy and thought he was more than just a comedy actor. If you've enjoyed this episode and be bothered to do so, please give the episode a share and tell your friends about it. And why not give the series a follow or subscribe over on Acast or wherever you listen to the episodes. If you're feeling super generous, we'd be grateful of a rating if you have a second or two to spare. But don't worry if you don't, we're just grateful you spent the time listening to us. If you've missed any Amway Not episodes so far, you can find them on our podcast channel over on Acast, Apple Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Good Pods on our website at hauntednerds.com, or you should be able to find us wherever else you get podcasts from. And if you haven't already, give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram, and why not join the And Why Not group over on Facebook. Not only will you be kept up to date with what episodes are coming up, and have the chance to contribute to them, but we also post our picks of three great films to check out each week on Freeview TV. If you fancy joining us, just search And Why Not Pod on social media, or check out the links in the show notes. If social media is not your thing, I've also set up a Slack channel for the podcast, where you can join in with the film talk and more. Um, it's only just been set up, so it's a bit quiet on there at the moment, um, but there's loads of channels on there already looking at where you can talk about the episodes, you can post like pictures of your film merch, um, talk about movies in general, uh, soundtracks, all that sort of thing. There's channels set up for all of that, and we'll add more as the community grows, because uh, it's uh, my hope with it that we'll build an awesome little film community on there where it's focused just on film and stuff, so you don't get all the other social media noise. If that sounds like your kind of thing and an awesome little film community where we can build and grow and chat and share, let us know if you'd like to join. Either send me an email 
through at hauntednerds at gmail.com or send us a message through our social medias and we'll send you the link to join. Like I said at the top of this episode, this is the one that kicks off our 2023 season and we've got another year of great movies and guests planned for you with upcoming episodes on About Time, Star Wars The Force Awakens, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers The Movie, and Adam's Family Values, all of which will be taking us up to April. And then we've got more beyond planned beyond that, including this year's summer specials, in which we'll be celebrating 45 years of Superman The Movie by looking at the Superman movies from, obviously, Superman The Movie through to Man of Steel. And we'll be doing a brief stop in the 90s for the Lois and Clark pilot as well. So there's plenty to look forward to from us in 2023. In the meantime, though, we'll be back next Tuesday, 14th of February, for a Valentine's Day special, where I'll be joined by David Robertson to discuss the 1987 Cher Nick Cage star and romantic comedy Moonstruck. But until then, this has been a Nerds with Themselves production, and I've been Stuart Moraine. Thank you so much for listening, and remember, the only true currency in this bankrupt world is what you share with someone else when you're uncool. Bye for now. Do you have a message from Elaine? Your mother? She's a handful. No. She freaked me out. Tell her to stop.